Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. Feel free to download these audio files and share them with your friends and family. Support our efforts for the kingdom by clicking on the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Psalm 82, verse 1. Today is the seventh day of Passover, the anniversary of the day that the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, which the sages liken unto their immersion into a mikvah. Through the Red Sea, the children of Israel passed through a purification, washing away the filth of Egypt, and they underwent a transformation, a change in status, from slavery to freedom. On the far side of the water, they sang praises to God Most High, who had revealed himself in such manifest glory, and they declared, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Exodus 15.11 In the daily liturgy of the Jewish people, this declaration is repeated twice a day, in conjunction with the blessing of redemption that comes between the Shema and the Amidah. So they must be pretty important words, an important idea. Don't let the question mark deceive you. It's not actually a question. It's a rhetorical question, which means it's a question posed in such a way that the answer is obvious. The question, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Has an obvious answer. There is none among the gods like Hashem. There is none majestic in holiness like Hashem. There is none so fearsomely worthy of praises and acclamation. There is none that works such powerful wonders. That is the point of the entire story of the exodus from Egypt. That's what the whole affair was all about. Perhaps that wasn't clear to the common Hebrew slaves suffering in Egypt. I imagine that if we were slaves in Egypt, we wouldn't see the big picture of a contest between the gods. We'd be more concerned about our own situation and how it all affects us. As individuals in the middle of this unfolding drama, concerned only with our own little lives, our own personal redemption and our own personal salvation— We might not see the bigger picture of what is happening around us. We might not ever stop to ask ourselves, why should God Almighty care to redeem us from Egypt anyway? Though we, as mere escaping slaves, might not have the wherewithal to ask the question, God answers it anyway. It is a matter of reputation, His reputation. The exodus from Egypt was God's opportunity to declare his name. He used the redemption of Israel to establish his reputation. The Egyptians will know I am the Lord, Exodus 7.5, that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God, Exodus 8.10, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land, Exodus 8.22, in order to show you my power, in order to proclaim my name through all the earth, Exodus 9.16, that you may tell your children and grandchildren that you may know I am the Lord, Exodus 10.2. 
Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, Exodus 12, 12. I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, Exodus 14, 4. Why did God do all this in Egypt? Why the big display of power? Why the contest? Why did he redeem Israel? In order to show his power and in order to proclaim his name through all the earth. For the Lord, the contest of the gods is a demonstration of his sovereignty. Through the events of the Exodus story, God is establishing his name in the earth. He is making his entrance onto the stage of world history. In redeeming Israel, God sends a clear message to the whole world. I exist. I am God. There is none like me. He sends a message to the false gods of the world. He demonstrates that he alone is God and there is no other. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Exodus 12.12 The Jewish people are his victory trophies, as he says, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. Exodus 19.5 The word translated as treasured possession is sagula, a word that refers to the trophy treasure a conqueror takes from his vanquished foe. The redemption from Egypt serves God's purpose, which is the establishment of his name. The redemption of the Jewish people is part of something much bigger than just getting out of making bricks. It's part of a plan to reveal God's eternal glory to gods and men. The Jewish people are like trophies of victory in the banquet hall of the king as a testimony to the nations. For example, consider the reaction of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. This man was considered the high priest of Midian. The Midrash says, He worshipped all the gods. He was a connoisseur of deities. He put the poly in polytheism. But when he heard about how God had delivered the Jewish people from Egypt, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Exodus 18, 10 and 11. Jethro becomes the first convert. Rahab, the Canaanite innkeeper of Jericho, also converts, and for the same reason, she says, The fear of you has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, when you came out of Egypt, Joshua 2, 9 and 10. Moses summarizes the entire matter with another rhetorical question. Deuteronomy four thirty four says, 
Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? Again, it's a rhetorical question. He supplies the answer. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him, there is no other. According to this idea, the declaration of monotheism is the central thrust of the story of the exodus from Egypt and the whole redemption. The entire drama was intended to bring us to the realization that God alone presides over heaven and earth, that he transcends all other spiritual beings, that he is the one God, that Hashem is God, beside him there is no other. That's the purpose of the redemption. When the scriptures tell us there is no other, this is true on more than one level understand it this way. One might object by saying, there certainly are other gods, those that the nations worship. But the point is that, though they call themselves gods, those spiritual entities are not at all on the level of Hashem. They are lower beings, part of the created order, and in comparison with Hashem, they are as if they are nothing, non-existence. Because ultimately, God is the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end. From him, all things have come into being, and ultimately, all things will be reconciled into him. And apart from him, there is nothing that exists. But that reality of the universal oneness of God is necessarily concealed within this world so that others, like ourselves, can exist. But that concealment creates the illusion that other gods also exist, and the illusion that we ourselves are independent from God. As Satan said to Eve, you will be like God. The ultimate redemption of the future will be like the first redemption. In the future redemption, God will again rescue his people from the nations. Ezekiel 36, 22-23 says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I will be sanctified before their eyes. The Lord declares that he will redeem Israel from the exile for the sake of his reputation, that is, his name. The prophecy goes on to explain that he is going to gather his people from the four winds, spiritually purify them with sprinkling of clean water, a spiritual washing Invest into them a new spirit and a new heart. Resurrect them from the dead. Unite them in the land of Israel. Rebuild his temple and shepherd them as one flock under the Davidic Messiah king in the Messianic kingdom. That is the future redemption. 
And all of this he summarizes by saying, I will sanctify my great name. When we pray the Master's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven, may your name be sanctified, hallowed be thy name, we are supposed to have this prophecy in mind. We are asking God to bring the final redemption and establish the messianic kingdom so that the nations will know that I am the Lord. Understand that in the days of the Bible, there were really only two types of people in the world, the Jewish people and the nations. The Jewish people belonged to Hashem. The nations belonged to the other gods. Every nation had its gods. You didn't choose your gods the way that we choose a religion in today's world. Instead, you were born into a people, and your people had certain gods. Or rather, the gods owned your people. Jewish angelology explains the situation like this. God presides over a Sanhedrin of 70 angels. Each of the 70 nations has its own specific guardian angel. The angels are called princes and their domains are principalities. For example, in the book of Daniel, the angels Gabriel and Michael contend with the prince of Persia, that is, the angelic prince over the Persians. These angelic entities present themselves to the nations as divine beings, as gods, and they enjoy the adoration of their subjects. The Midrash Rabbah explains that the angelic prince over the Egyptians was called Mitzrayim, and that when the Torah says in Exodus 14, Mitzrayim pursued the people of Israel, and the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, Mitzrayim was marching after them, it refers to this angelic prince, of whom Pharaoh was an agent, just as Moses was an agent of Hashem. So the contest between the gods, between Hashem and Mitzrayim, was finally settled at the Red Sea. God prevailed, defeated the angel Mitzrayim, and took the Hebrews away from him. For they are my slaves, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. Leviticus 25.42 The name of the God of Israel is profaned among the nations when his people fall into the possession of other gods. Then it looks like the other gods are more powerful than him. After all, if he was more powerful, why can't he protect his people? So what does God do? He redeems his people, and in so doing, he sanctifies his name. He doesn't do it merely for the sake of the Jewish people. He does it for the sake of his name and for the sake of the nations, so that the nations will know that I am the Lord, or to put it in our master's words, that the world may know. So when we are asked whether or not it is appropriate for a Gentile disciple to celebrate the Jewish Passover, you should know that it's specifically for the sake of the nations that the Jewish people were redeemed in the first place, and it's specifically for the sake of the nations that the Jewish people will be redeemed in the future. This is what Paul refers to in Ephesians 3 as the mystery of the gospel. When I first discovered this line of thought in Paul's teaching, I was so excited that I wrote a book by that name, The Mystery of the Gospel. To put it another way, the mystery of the gospel is the hidden secret behind the good news about the kingdom of heaven.
Paul says he received insight into this mystery through a revelation. The revelation to which he refers occurred when, in the temple in Jerusalem, he was caught up to the third heaven and saw a vision of the master who said to him, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Acts 22 verse 21. The mysterious secret behind the good news of the gospel, Paul explains, is the redemption of the nations. In Ephesians 3, he explains that the mysterious, hidden secret behind the good news about the kingdom of heaven was according to God's eternal purpose, Ephesians 3.11, which is to say that redemption of the nations was the whole plan all along. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of the Messiah and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the community of Messiah, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in the Messiah, Yeshua, our Master. Ephesians 3, 8-11 By redeeming the nations along with Israel, God intended to sanctify his name before the nations and before their gods, the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, which Paul refers to a few chapters further on as the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, Ephesians 6.12. In the coming messianic redemption, God will sanctify his name by taking the nations away from the gods of the nations. This is the eternal purpose the redemption of humanity, not just Israel, but all of humanity is to be swept up into this final redemption. Then the adversary will be chained, thrown into a pit, and sealed in it for a thousand years, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Revelation 20 verse 3. Then God's name will be sanctified, and all the nations will know that there is no God like Hashem the God of Israel. This is what we declare through the days of the counting of the Omer in the recitation of Psalm 67, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth, Selah. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. That's the sweeping drama of redemption, a universal redemption, the mystery of the gospel and the eternal purpose of God, that the Messiah comes not just for Israel, but for all the sons and daughters of Adam. This was the inspiring revelation that drove the Apostle Paul to reach out to the nations. He saw Gentile disciples of Yeshua as the first fruits of this final redemption, just as the Jewish disciples were the first fruits of the redemption of Israel. 
Paul's epistle to the Ephesians reveals a plan for universal dominion, a plan by which God intends to take over the world. Gentile believers are God's tokens and trophies of victory in an ancient struggle against darkness and concealment. The eternal purpose of God is the redemption of the whole world. The exodus from Egypt set the pattern. When God took the Israelites out of Egypt and away from Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt, he established his superiority over all those gods. Israel was his trophy of victory. He used the exodus from Egypt to establish his name. The exodus from Egypt foreshadowed a second, greater exodus, an exodus begun under the blood of a greater lamb. This second exodus is the redemption of the nations. As he redeems the nations, God is repeating the exodus from Egypt over and over again, and there is nothing Pharaoh or the gods of Egypt can do about it. The spiritual powers and principalities of the Gentile nations can only watch in dismay as their brickmakers slip away through the Red Sea. Our salvation is a demonstration of God's wisdom and sovereign power, to rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Which of them, what other god, has ever tried to take for himself every nation? Which god of the nations has done anything like it? Which god of the nations can do anything to stop it? To Paul, the mystery of the gospel is the salvation of the whole world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, That's what we are talking about when we speak about the kingdom of heaven being revealed on earth and when we ask God to sanctify his name and bring his kingdom. The point of the redemption is God's final victory over the so-called gods of this world. It's the revelation of his name as one within this world of concealment where it appears that he is not one and not sovereign. The picture is much bigger than just me and my personal salvation. It's bigger than the liberation from Egypt. It's bigger than the salvation of the Jewish people. God's eternal purpose is that his wisdom should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms by means of taking away their people and their property, and by means of redeeming a people out of every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth. Before the foundation of the earth, the Lord said to the soul of King Messiah, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 49 verse 6 The scope of Messiah's work is not limited to the restoration of the tribes of Israel. That purpose is too small when compared with the greater purpose God has in mind. The eternal purpose of God is that the Messiah should carry the Lord's salvation to the Gentiles, even to the ends of the earth. The Gentiles Isaiah spoke of are the same Gentiles to whom Paul was writing in the book of Ephesians. They were formerly strangers and aliens, far off, strangers to the promises, without God and without hope. They were the ones upon whom God intends to shine the light of Messiah. 
This is in keeping with God's eternal purpose, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God's salvation must go to the ends of the earth, that through the seed of Abraham, all the families of the earth should be blessed. Then all humanity will declare, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. And in that day, the idols will be cut off and toppled down, as it says in the Elenu prayer, and every knee will bend and every tongue confess. And in that day, the Lord will be one and his name will be one. Psalm 82, the psalm that begins with the words, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods he holds judgment, concludes with the hopeful petition, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Take on my yoke And learn from me And find rest for your soul